So I just want to say, first of all, uh, if you're new, welcome. Uh, we're so glad you came tonight on the very last service of the semester. Uh, we strategically planned Bring a Friend Night on the last week of the semester for two reasons. The first reason is the last week of the semester is busy, so a lot of students don't come, so we wanted to have people here, okay? That's one thing. That's very practical. But then secondly, we planned it because I believe that God does incredible things in the spring semester, and he brings uh, students into our, com- or into our community who invest in a really special way. You know, the fall is kind of the time where it seems like you'd reach out to students more, but the spring, there's always a few gems that come into our community. So I was hoping that tonight could possibly be the start for some of you of being a part of our community. Our community. And if you decide not to be part of our community, that's totally okay. And we pray that you'd be encouraged tonight. And I want to say, too, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I'm hoping after service we'll get an opportunity. So try to grab me if you can, and I'll try to grab you. All right. So do any, or do any of you know or someone who gives really good gifts? Like they're just like the gift giver, like the person, like kind of like, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. I was going to talk about the book, The Giver. It has nothing to do with this. But they give the greatest gifts. Okay, my parents were that way. Like, to be honest, they didn't have a ton of money. But for some reason, every Christmas, they'd figure out a way to completely fill the living room with gifts. And these weren't just like, like little gifts, like a little G.I. Joe. Like, these were Xboxes, laptops. Not all in the same year, okay? We're not crazy. But, you know, drum symbols. I played the drums. You know, stuff like that. They would always give us great gifts. But on the other hand, my grandma was just not a good gift giver. And, and let's be honest, she has 10 kids, 30-some grandkids. I don't know how many great-grandkids. There's a lot. So she has a lot of people to buy for. But every single year, I knew what I was going to get. It was probably going to be a Walmart long-sleeve T-shirt. And I was never excited about it. I was never, there's never anticipation in my heart when I got to Grammy's house. I didn't really care if I even opened it. Uh, but then there was one year when... Uh, and my grandma called my mom and asked her advice on what to get us. She wanted to get us good gifts. And my mom told my grandma that I love to go to the movies. So my grandma got me a 5 or $10 gift card to the movie theater. And I tell you, I was so pumped when I opened that because finally the gift had some value to me. Like all the long sleeve t-shirts I just put up on the top of my closet, I did not wear. But that $5 gift card would definitely get used in that week probably. And I think uh, some of us have or similar experiences with Jesus. Okay, let me explain this. So I think some of us think we already know what life with Jesus is about. We have our assumptions. We think we've heard about Jesus. We've maybe been in a church a couple of times, and we kind of think we have figured out what to expect with Jesus. And to be honest, uh, some of us aren't too eager to open this gift that is uh, Jesus Christ. We're not too eager about it. We're not excited. We're just like I was at my Grammy's house. Like, not excited, don't really care if you open up the gift, you just leave Jesus there. And the reason for that is we have some misconceptions, okay? So some of us think that Jesus is all about just getting us to behave. Like, be a good boy, be a good girl, don't do bad things. Or more uh, more specifically, for some of us, we think don't do fun things, right? That's what we think Jesus is about, just don't do bad things. Others of us haven't decided what we think about Jesus. Uh, We're not sure if he's God or if he's man, or if he's some crazy person, or if he's made up in a fairy tale, we don't know. So because of that, we don't really know what to do with him, and we don't really care to open the gift, because we don't like, really have a reason to. We don't really have a reason to accept Jesus. We're not even sure if he's really God, or if he was even a person. I promise you he was a person. History backs us up on that. But some of us worry, and this is more for Christians as well, but some of us worry 
if we fully embrace life with Christ, then we're going to end up somewhere where we don't want to be, doing things with people we don't want to do things with, and probably doing something we don't want to do. There's nothing compelling about this Jesus to us. Like, why would I want to be a crazy Christian? And why would I want to be about rule following? Why would I want to give my life to something I can't see? All of these things prevent us from fully embracing life with Jesus. So what we try to do, especially in America, even Christians, is we try to have Jesus, or maybe say, I believe in God, because we want to get into heaven just in case he's there. And then we also want to do our own thing. And we never fully give Christ our life. And that's not just non-Christians, that's Christians too. And the root of this, and the root of all these hindrances to truly embracing life with Jesus, is we fail to realize and to fully grasp that Jesus is good and that he has the keys to abundant life. Jesus is not compelling to us enough, so we fail to give him our life. And what I think God wants to tell us tonight, if we could bring my mic down a little bit, Ryan, I think what God wants to tell us tonight is that Jesus came to bring a good gift. He is a good gift, and he wants what's best for us. Jesus is compelling. Jesus is worth giving everything for. Jesus, the people in the New Testament who actually did life with him, thought that Jesus was worth giving up their entire life for. And in the midst of Roman oppression and the entire Jewish people being against this sect, somehow Christianity grew in the midst of opposition because people found Jesus worth giving everything for. People opened the gift that is Jesus, and they found it to be the best thing they had ever opened, the best gift they had ever gotten. They found Christmas to be compelling. Jesus in a manger was compelling to them. This Jesus who gave his life for the sins of the world was worth living for. So my prayer tonight is that we would realize that Jesus has come to bring good to us, and he is worth giving our entire, our entire lives to. I pray that this Christmas you would not just get gifts from mommy and daddy and eat cookies and have reindeer fun. I don't know what that is, but that's something. <laughs> but I pray that instead of that, you would open the gift that is Jesus and find that he is far better than you could ever dream. He's not just about getting, or getting you to behave well, although when people encounter him and his love, they start to behave better. That's just kind of what happens. It's not like a requirement to get into heaven. It's just something that happens when people encounter his love. And you'll find that he's not just some teacher from 2,000 years ago, but he's actually alive today, and you can communicate with him. And you'll find that he's good, and that he wants what's best for you. I'm praying that that would happen tonight. So that's kind of my goal. So you already know my goal. You already know my plan. And we're going to kind of get there by the end, okay? So kind of go with me. Uh, but the story of Christmas and Jesus' birth is really a gift exchange, so to speak. At Christmas, God gave the gift of his only son, Jesus, so we could be forgiven for our sins, in response, God asks us to surrender our lives to him and to love him with our whole heart. So he gives us his life so we can live, and we obey him and surrender our lives to him. And we've been in this series for the last couple of weeks, and we're looking at this gift that God gave at the first Christmas. So that's what we're doing. Last week, we looked at the wise men. It was a lot of fun. If you missed it, check it out online. And in this week, we're looking at the shepherds. So uh, the title of this message is The Gift of the Shepherds, okay? So these are people who witnessed Jesus' birth. And uh, in the shepherd's stories in uh, Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. It's about this close to the back of the Bible to kind of give you a, just a hint of where to go. It's in the New Testament. It's a gospel. So gospels 
are stories of Jesus' life. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There are four Gospels. They tell the story of his life in a little bit different ways, but they're all telling one story. And specifically, Luke chapter 1 and 2 tell us about the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. And something you'll notice when you're reading the Gospel of Luke and when you're reading all of the scriptures, uh, specifically the Christian scriptures, uh, is it's grounded in world history. Something you'll notice when you read other texts, like no disrespect to other religions, but they're not as grounded in history. The New Testament says this happened at this place and this time. This person was the governor, and, and these are real historical events. So I just want to show you this uh, quickly here, kind of show you how the Bible is, is actually historical. So Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 7, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, so like the emperor of Rome, like a real dude, not some made-up guy. This isn't a fairy tale. And it said that all the world should be registered. So there's a census. And this was the first registr- registration when, I'm not going to try saying his name, uh, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, who was Jesus' dad, but not really, uh, I can't explain that now, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, or to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So these are real places, right? It's not made up. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Mary was a virgin. She got pregnant with Jesus. Joseph was like, what the heck happened? And then he trusted God like a champ and said, okay, I guess she really is a virgin. Uh, I don't think many of us would have did that. All right, so verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because, because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, so the classic Christmas story there, you see Jesus in a manger. I'm thinking Talladega Nights, like praying the baby Jesus right now. Don't watch that movie. It's really inappropriate, I think. I haven't seen it for like 10 years. All right. At the same time that it's grounded in world history, in the natural world, the Gospel of Luke has powerful examples, not only of history, not only of things that we know in our natural mind to be real, but also these inbreakings of God's presence into the world. And not only that, but God doesn't just appear, but he appears to ordinary people like you and me. And a great example of this is in verses 8 through 20, when the angels appear to some ordinary shepherds. Let's take a look at this. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away... From them into heaven, the shepherds said to, or to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, all who heard it, uh, or they wondered at what the shepherds told them. But then Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for, they, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right, maybe some of you have heard this story, but I really think the Holy Spirit's about to speak through it. It seems like this, this little or story we read at Christmas time, we hear in church, but this story is powerful. I'm excited to unpack it to you, 
or unpack it tonight, but the main idea, if you're taking notes at all, if there's one thing you want to take, it's this. It's that the gift of Jesus should cause us to worship him. So when Jesus appears to you and gives his life to you, it should compel you to respond in a certain way. And in Luke chapter 2 proposes that the way you should respond is with worship. All right, let's pray over that, and then we'll jump into the teaching. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for every single student here. God, I thank you for the new students who are here tonight, for the students who have been here forever. God, I thank you for every student. And God, I pray that you would speak to us and encourage us as we're gearing up for finals. Well, I'm not gearing up for finals, thankfully, but they are. And, uh, and as we prepare to go home for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so something I like to do is give three points because I'm type A and it just makes sense to me. So, and that's usually what God gives me. But anyways, we have three points tonight, if you didn't guess. So verse 8 and 9 says this, and I always take it right from the text. I really believe that the scripture is foundation uh, for our truth and, and for what we believe. So I always just kind of share right uh, what's in the text, okay? So verse 8 and 9 says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, so first point tonight is this, if you're taking notes. It's when God appears to us, our natural response is fear. Our natural response is fear. It's easy to read a text like this, especially if you're familiar with it, and to fail to really put yourself inside the story, to fail to to put yourself in the shoes of the people in the text. So let me paint a picture for you. These were ordinary shepherds doing the mundane task of watching over their sheep. They were at their day job, so to speak, but it was in the middle of the night, but day job, go with me. And they had no expectation that anything special was going to happen during that day. I think back to when I worked at Casey's General Store. Great place, great pizza, great pop, all that stuff. I drank a lot of pop at Casey's in those days. It was free. I remember, I just do my thing. Okay, 250 thanks for your card, swipe. I was not expecting an angel to show up to me, right? I think about you guys. You're in Rod Library, probably a lot at this time, well, for those of you who study. And think about if you're there and you're reading some big tome of a book and all of a sudden a big scary angel appears to you. Just like, whoa, who is that crazy looking eight foot tall creature that might have wings? We're not sure. Uh, Sometimes people say they look differently when they claim to have seen angels. But point is, this heavenly being shows up to you. What's your response? What do you do in that situation? You know, some of you are saying, oh, I'd be like, glory to God in the highest. I would not be like that. I got to be honest with you. I've prayed at times like, Lord, I know you visit some people, but I don't know if I want you to visit me because I'd be freaked out. Because <laughs> he's really shiny and bright and huge, I'm assuming. Like, have you read Revelation? It's the last book in the Bible. Like, all the kids who just get into the apocalypse just turn there and just want to read it because like sci-fi. Jesus has like white hair, like, like flaming eyes. It's crazy stuff. So I get scared when I think about seeing Jesus, and I get scared when I think about seeing angels. So picture this, you're in the piazza, you're working, and an angel shows up, what do you do? That's the question. I think your response would be this. Your response would probably be intense fear. I think you'd be scared out of your mind. There's some crazy-looking creature looking at me right now, and it's freaking me out. Although I doubt that any of us, or many of us, have had angelic visitations, I do think most of us have had some type of interaction with God. And it's not usually this supernatural. Although I believe that can happen, but I think most of the time we encounter God through maybe someone sharing God's love with us, you know, sharing an encouraging word or something like that, or we have a profound moment in nature where we just realize that there's something bigger out there, or sitting in a worship service like this during the worship songs, you feel something in your heart, 
or when I teach the word to you, your heart gets pricked, you feel a little bit convicted, you feel like challenged, like maybe I should change the way I'm living. Those are all encounters with God. And I do think a lot of times when we encounter God, if we're not in Christ, if we're not walking with Jesus in relationship, I think a lot of times our first response is to be afraid, okay? And I think there's a few fears that we have when God shows himself to us, okay? So the first thing is this. I think the first fear in our heads is we think, this is outside of my comfort zone, especially Iowan kids from small towns. You are all like too worried to get out of your comfort zone. You're like, hey, I don't want to do anything weird, all right? I don't want anybody to see me. I think sometimes when God shows himself to us, we are afraid. We're afraid to get out of our comfort zone because an encounter with God disrupts our normal routine and challenges us or pushes us outside of our comfort zone. Okay, so that's the first fear. The second fear I think that uh, some of us have is we think, I'm afraid of what Jesus might ask me to do if I acknowledge his presence. So we might feel something, we might feel compelled, but we don't actually want to acknowledge that it's God because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do if we do that. Is God going to ask me to change my lifestyle? Is God going to ask me to become a different person? Am I going to become a a crazy, Bible-thumping Christian? Am I going to have to leave the sin that I so much enjoy? I really like getting drunk on the hill. Is God going to ask me to leave that? That's a legitimate fear we have. We're like, what things am I going to have to leave? I think that's the second fear. I think a third fear we have, and this is for you really reserved people, I think you think, I don't know if this is for me. You know, those Kyalfians, like, like they like to lift their hands and worship. They look kind of weird. They're closing their eyes and, and getting into it. Like, that's cool for them. I respect that. That's great. I, I respect when people get into the Bible and they want to live a good life, but that's not really for me. I think sometimes we have that fear. We think, or we think this isn't for me. And finally, I think a fourth fear, and I think the most common fear, if I had to say, is we think that uh, we're too unworthy for God's love. We think that God could never love us because of what we've done. Those are four things I think, I don't know if those are all the fears, but those are things I just really feel after four years of doing campus ministry that I've seen from college students specifically, four different fears. And Emily and I, so to kind of change the page here for a second, Emily and I have been watching this show called The Flash on CW, I think, or something like that. Have you heard of The Flash, anybody? I don't know if anybody watches it anymore, but you know, we've got through all of our shows we like, and we're like, well, we'll go back to this one. So uh, The Flash, we've been watching that for the last couple of days, and we're getting to know this character called or his name's Ralph Dibney, and he's some long, tall guy. But anyways, in the show, Ralph gets superpowers, and he goes from being this guy who's very really slimy, he's a con artist, he's trying to steal money, and stuff like that, and he goes from being that kind of guy to being someone who's starting to save people. He's got a superpower, and he, and he begins to save people. And his superpower is he can stretch like, as much as he wants to. And because of that, he can become different people as well. He can look like different people. And some people call him, or call him the stretchy man, and then he gets a better name like elongated man. I don't know. That's a really weird name too. But anyways, as he transitions from being the old slimy, or being his old self of being the slimy scammer con artist to being someone who's saving people and becoming someone who's reliable, he has a few moments of doubt in the show. He has these come to Jesus moments, although Jesus isn't in the flash, but he has these moments where he wonders if he's the guy for the job. Is Ralph Dibney really the guy to be saving people? I have a terrible past. I am not trustworthy. How could someone like me have a significant life of purpose? How could someone like me, not only that, but have friends who stay by my side no matter what? And the thing we see, which is an incredible picture of what Christian community is supposed to be like, although they're not Christians in the show, but his friends are always there to tell him that he can do it and that there's a purpose for his powers and that he has an obligation to use them. He's been given 
great power, and with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben, we had that quote like week two. I can't believe, okay, that's Spider-Man. It's a different superhero show. You're supposed to remember this stuff. Anyways, great power comes great responsibility, and his friends challenge him, you have to use these powers. You have to save people. It's a, it's a responsibility now. And I think many of us can relate with this. So we may hear about Jesus. We may be compelled by him. We're offered the superpower of having life with Christ, which is kind of a superpower. Like, Jesus is God, and he invites you to have life with him. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. That's a superpower if I've ever heard about one. But the thing is, we, we get compelled. We're offered the superpower of living life with Christ, but then we fear what might happen if we truly follow Jesus and give him full reign. We fear, this is our biggest fear, we fear, or fear that we're too unworthy to follow him. We fear, is this really for me? Am I really the person? I have a screwed up past. My parents weren't Christians. I know nothing about the Bible. Is this really for me? That's the question we have. And we fear that devotion to Jesus Christ is, or is not in the cards for us. It may be for Daniel. It may be for, for someone else, but it's not for me. That's not my thing. But then what happens next in our story gives us God's response to our fear. So let's read it. Verses 10 through 16. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. All right, second point. I want you to get this one. The Christmas story tells us that we don't need to fear the presence of God. The Christmas story tells us, or tells us that we don't need to fear the presence of God. I find the angel's response to the shepherds to be two things. One, I find it to be amusing in some, in some levels, but also I find it to be comforting. I find it to be amusing because he had just snuck up on these shepherds, scared the living daylights out of them, and then he just says, fear not. Like, hey, what am I supposed to do? You look like a crazy-looking creature thing, and you're telling me not to fear. I can just see the shepherds saying, what do you expect me to do? How am I supposed to not be afraid? Also, how am I supposed to respond to a heavenly being when I've never seen one before? I just can see that happening. I don't know. That was funny to me. Maybe not. But I find it comforting as well because the angel's response shows us the heart of God. Although God is otherworldly, he's transcendent, which just means above all, He's so far above this world. At the same time that he's all these things, he's omnipotent, omniscient, all those omnis, he's those things. He desires to come near to you. He desires to get really close to you and to whisper, do not fear. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. I've come to be your savior. Although... When God appears to us, we often fear what he might do if we give him our lives. He yells to us, I come in peace. I come in peace. The Christmas story where God becomes man in Jesus, in this story we see that he has truly come in peace. He's not come to threaten us. He came as a baby for heaven's sake, like the least threatening thing ever. And he is trying to dispel our fears and say, I'm good. I'm here for you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. So verses 10 and 11, I found it very interesting because verses 10 or 10 and 11 specifically 
give us reasons why we should not fear. So let's break it down phrase by phrase, okay? So earlier I said we often fear God because life with him is outside of our comfort zone, okay? So that's our fear. Put up the slide here. Uh, see here. So our fear is this is out of my comfort zone. God's response is this. You can see it right in the text. And now, like, obviously the shepherds didn't say this is out of my comfort zone, but I'm reading between the lines, okay? He says, I bring you good news, okay? So because God says, I bring you good news, our new response should be this, if you throw it up there. Although this is different than what I'm used to, it's good. So Christianity, if it's really true, is going to be different than what you're used to in secular Western America. It's going to be different, I promise. There's going to be some weird stuff that challenges the poop out of you. But it's good. It is good. The angel says right away, I bring you good news. Second fear. I'm afraid of what Jesus might ask me to do. God's response of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. So our new response, because he comes to bring great joy, is this. I'm not afraid of what Jesus is going to ask me to do because he is after my joy. I can find no greater joy than in the presence of Christ. You will not find it, I promise you. Just ask, or just ask the richest people in the world. They'll tell you. You will not find greater joy than to have life with God. Nothing in this earth will satisfy you. Jesus says, says, don't be afraid of what I'm going to ask you to do because I'm after your good, I'm after your joy. So although he is going to ask us to do things that are different, to do things that are different than what we're used to, we can have confidence in him and trust him because he is a God who's after our delight and our joy. He's not after your begrudging obedience, but he's after your joyful obedience and his abundant, vibrant life with him. All right. Third fear is this again. I don't know if this is for me. God responds in this way, and more specifically the angel, but God, through the angel, says, that will be for all the people. I cannot take it when people say, I just don't know if it's for me. No, Jesus said, I'm for everyone. Jesus is for everybody. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you grew up on the planet. Jesus is for everyone. So our new response is this. Jesus is for everyone. Therefore, that means that Jesus is for me. Although some of you may not have background in church, you may not know this Bible very well, the Christmas story tells us that this is for you as well. Jesus is not limited to people who grew up hearing about him. Something that's very significant about Christianity when you put it side by side with the other world religions is that it's the only religion that has thrived on every continent. It has absolutely thrived on every continent. It started out in the Middle East, and then I can't go through all of it, but the point is at some point... The dominant places were in Europe and in North America. Now we've kind of seen Christianity move to the southern part of the world and in uh, South America and Asia and Africa. Christianity is booming there now. The only continent we haven't been thriving on yet is Antarctica, but there's only penguins there and maybe like the snow dogs. But the point is, Christianity thrives on every continent because Christianity is for everybody. Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for Western Americans. It actually it seems to be sometimes more for people in the southern part of the world because Western Americans can't handle giving up their lives because we're too comfortable, right? That's why we see it booming in these other parts of the world because people are willing to give it all because they have nothing else to live for. They're like, I'm going to give it all to this because, or because this life is definitely not satisfying me. But for us in our comfy houses and all of our stuff and all those things, or sometimes we're like, ah, I think I can do better on my own, right? 
but Christianity is for everyone. So Romans 5, uh, 6 through, actually no, so hold on. So uh, the last fear is this, I feel unworthy. So God's response to that is, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So because of that, our new response should be this, on my own, I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. So I'm going to tell you that. You will not measure up to God. You are not worthy. You are more flawed than, actually, actually you're more flawed than you know. And so am I. But Jesus makes you worthy. That's the good news. It's not that you're good enough or, or that you can measure up to God, but it's that Jesus makes you worthy. So although a natural response to standing in God's presence is to feel the weight and the depth of our sin, he wants us to know that he's not come for worthy people, but he's come to make unworthy people worthy. Only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross can our sins be forgiven and we be put into right relationship with God. In Romans chapter 5, I almost got ahead of myself. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 9 says this. It's beautiful. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he didn't die for you because you're righteous, but he died for you even when you're a sinner. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, his blood covers our sins. I know that sounds creepy if you're not, or don't have background in church, but point is he sacrificed for you. Then, or then much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so the penalty for our sins has been paid through Jesus Christ, if we put our faith in him. Okay, so in summary, the Christmas story tells us that, that when we say yes to Jesus, we'll find far more joy in life than you could ever dream. He, he will certainly ask you to do different things that are outside of your comfort zone. There's going to be times I preach this word and you're going to be mad at me because you don't want to do what I said. I promise. People get mad at me a lot because I just teach this thing. I promise that will happen. But if you do what Jesus tells you to do, I promise you that you will have more joy than you could ever dream, that you will live the life that you were created to live, and that you are going to be a son or daughter of God walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is the best life you could ever live. That's what the Christmas story tells us, that yes, when you stand in God's presence, it is a little bit scary, but then you can come and go on a journey and see Jesus in a manger, and you realize that this is the life that you're meant to live all along. And that leads me to my third and final point tonight, which is in uh, verses 15 through 20. All right, so when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But then Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, so third thing. This is a quick point. Uh, when God appears to us, our response should be worship. So the shepherds, they're scared out of their minds. The angels tell them it's okay. And what do they do? They could say, this is too weird for me. This is not for me. This is for other people. I'm just a shepherd. Go find uh, the religious uh, leaders over there, like the ones in the temple, or in the synagogue, go find them. This isn't for me. That's what they could have did. But instead they said, Jesus is for everyone. Yes, this is outside my comfort zone, but God is good. And this is good news for great joy. So I'm going to go see what the heck's in the manger. Okay? So they go on a journey. They walk down the dirt trail. And they go and they see just little baby Jesus sitting in the manger. And what do they do? 
They bow down and worship Jesus. And they tell other people about him. And that decision to go and see Jesus in a manger would be the only thing that these shepherds are remembered for in history. We don't know anything else about them. We don't even know their names. We just know that they went and saw Jesus. And I'm here to tell you tonight, Christian or non-Christian, that uh, what you do with Jesus is the only thing that's going to matter in eternity. 2,000 years from now, it'll be the only thing that matters. Our response to Jesus, whether positive or negative, is the thing that matters at the end of the day. So I know that in the scriptures, that there are huge challenges for Christians to give their lives for Jesus. There's a huge challenge to worship Jesus with everything you have and to give it all for him and to not just give him a piece of the pie, so to speak, but to give him your whole life. I know there's huge challenges, but Jesus promises us when we give up our lives, we're going to find life. He promises us when we walk in his commandments and in his love, then we're going to find joy unspeakable. That's the promise. We'll see the Son of God sitting in a manger. So the question tonight is this. It's a simple question, but a big question. The question is, well, two questions. Will you find Jesus? So will you go on that journey and find him and see who he is and see if he's worth living for? It's the first question. And the second question is, is will you not only find him, which is actually more accurately that Jesus finds you. Okay, that's some theology stuff we could talk about. But point is, find him, he finds you at the same time, whatever. Go find Jesus. The second question is, so not only find him and encounter him, but then worship him and obey him for a lifetime. That's the question. I just want you to think about that as you go to Christmas break. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to find him and are you going to worship him? If the worship team would come, we're going to close up here. So the main idea tonight is this. Again, if you were sleeping the first time around, I always give it twice. The gift of Jesus Christ should cause us to worship him. This Christmas season, I pray that, that you'll go beyond the Christmas lights Go beyond Santa Claus and the reindeer and the cookies, all things that I love and enjoy. Like, I was so diehard for Santa as a kid. I like Santa. Uh, he's not real, though, if you didn't know that. But uh, so, just so you're not confused. But, but hear me, I'm all about these holiday festivities. But I think that Jesus wants to do something deeper in this Christmas season. I think he wants to challenge us to seek him. And not only... I'm not only calling people who don't already follow Jesus, but even for those of you who have already said you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, I'm praying that you'll seek him this season and that you'll do whatever he tells you to do, that you won't run from him in fear, but you'll listen to what he's saying to you. And not only that, not only listen, sometimes we listen, but then actually obey what he's saying and, and to worship him and to give our whole life to him and to do what he says. These shepherds' lives will be changed forever by this encounter with God. And I promise you, if you give your life to Jesus, that it's going to change your life for good. It's going to change it for the better. So Jesus, he came as a baby boy in that uh, very first Christmas so that you and I could be saved from ourselves. I pray that that would compel you. Jesus came as a baby boy He came in the most humble way. God of heaven came in the most humble way so you and I wouldn't have to stay in our sins but instead could be saved and have a right relationship with God. And not only that, but Jesus, so he came, but then he lived a perfect life. He never sinned once, the most exemplary human being in all of world history. So he obeys God's law, which none of us can do. And then not only that, he doesn't only obey God's law, which means he shouldn't get punished for not obeying it, but then he actually gets punished on our behalf and gets put on a cross 
So all we have to do to be saved is put our faith in him. And then what happens, and this is kind of like theological here, but what happens when you put your faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness gets deposited into your account. So when God looks at you, Jesus' blood has covered you because he sacrificed for you, he paid your debt. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see flawed, sinful human being. Instead, he sees Jesus. He sees you, if you put your faith in Jesus, the same way that he sees Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want God to view me that way. And not only that, but it says that all who receive Jesus, God gives the right to become children of God. Children of God. I want to be God's child. That sounds pretty good to me. He'd be a pretty good dad. He'd be able to protect me, right? I want to be God's kid. So I pray that if you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, that you would do that and that you would experience what it's like to have life with God, to be his son or to be his daughter. And to know this as well. So it's kind of like a, it's a beautiful ending to the story. Well, the story's still going, but in ending to the story of what Jesus has already done, he doesn't only die and pay your debt, but then he rises from the grave in the middle of world history and hundreds of people follow him and then thousands and now millions follow him all the way, well, some all the way to death because, because they believe what he said. And now, for all those people who have died for Christ, all those people who have died with Christ, now, at the last day, so when Jesus returns, it says that because he's been risen from the grave, we're going to be risen from the grave. So it means that death does not have the final word, but that life with God for eternity is available. That's the story of Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do at Christmas. And I pray that that reality would transform you tonight. All right, so go ahead and stand with me. We're going to close. So this Christmas, I believe that God is asking us to receive the gift of Jesus and to not suspect that the gift is not good or the gift's not, the gift's not worth opening or it's too scary to unwrap, but to open it and allow it to transform our lives and then to respond by completing, or by completing the gift exchange by giving God our whole lives back to him. Okay, so that's the goal this Christmas season. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you. And there's two ways to respond every week at Chi Alpha. The first way is to give people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus and come into right relationship with God. So if you've come in here tonight and if you're honest, you're not following Jesus or you once did and you've walked away from that and tonight you need to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you need to do that tonight so that you can have new life and so that God can look at you the way that he looks at Jesus. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand on the count of three. So one, two, three. Slip up your hand all across this room. See that hand. Is there anyone else? All right, I'm going to pray for you. If you didn't slip up your hand because you're too scared, it's all right. You can still pray to God. All right, so Jesus, I pray tonight that for those of us who don't know you and want to come into relationship with you tonight, or maybe we once knew you but have walked away, God, I pray that you give us a new heart, that you give us a new spirit, that you would bring our hearts to life, and that you would cover us, so to speak, with your blood and with your love, and that uh, we could be forgiven for our sins. So God, we pray for that tonight. And the second way to respond is this. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but as I talked about the gift exchange, you realize that there's something in your life that you need to give to Jesus this Christmas season. There's something that's nagging at you. You feel a little bit guilty, a little bit convicted about it, and you need to give it to Jesus. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's lust or greed or whatever. You need to give it to Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that. So slip up your hands all across this room. Let's give our stuff to God right now. All right, Jesus, we are giving it all to you. We're laying it all out on the altar. 
And we're saying, take our junk, take our greed, take our lust, take our anger, take these things, God, take it off of us, forgive us, and help us to live the life that we're called to live. Help us to live lives in full worship of you. God, I pray that this people, that this group of students would be completely sold out for you and that they would give everything for you. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.